as a bookseller, I'd like to think who knows your taste. I would have told you to put this on. (laughs) (laughs) Hey readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, episode 132. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Before we get to today's fun theme, I want to read this follow-up email from episode 128 guest Tracy Haddock. Tracy says, I finished I Shall Be Near to You, Four sincere stars. The only downside was suspending my disbelief that the main character wasn't getting discovered in a couple of situations, but hundreds of women really did fight in the Civil War, so my skepticism needed to be held in check. I am nearly finished with Abigail Adams, and I just love it. It is every bit as good as you said it would be. Five stars, hands down. And as a sneak peek, because I couldn't help myself, I read the first few paragraphs of Wrapped in Rainbows, and I feel quite sure I will love it as well. My youngest sister, Hannah, listened to the episode this morning and texted me to say she immediately downloaded persuasion that is pretty much the highest compliment i could receive thank you for creating this wonderful framework tracy thank you for coming on the show it was a pleasure readers if you haven't listened yet go back and listen to episode 128 it was a good one readers it's time to get those library holds all set up for a long bookish summer whether you're looking for a contemporary page turner a little something creepy a dose of reality a chunky classic or if you're suspending expectations in hope of some bookish serendipity annie jones and i have got you covered we're discussing all the hot titles we can't help but want to shove in our friends hands so get that to be read list ready and let's get to it annie welcome back thanks Anne. i'm so glad to be here I am delighted to talk to you again. This is going to make a lot of listeners very, very happy today. Oh, that makes me so happy. I am thrilled and I'm super excited to talk to you. I'm what's not fun about summer reading? Like I'm super excited to dive into this conversation. It's summertime. For summer reading, I think that can be a state of mind. So Australia and New Zealand, we are waving high. I totally think reading changes in the summer. Don't you? I do think so. We have a lot of teachers and students in our audience. So obviously that changes for them in very like tangible, structural ways. I'm totally with Ann Patchett who says, any book you read on the beach is a beach read. And yet I do find myself reading differently in summer. And I read differently in summer because every year we put out the Modern Mrs. Darcy Summer Reading Guide. Between January and May 1st, I'm furiously reading everything I can get my hands on that's coming out between like March and the 4th of July. When that's over, I read something different. Do you ever feel like you're reading in reverse from everybody though? Yeah. And then come June, after reading all that new contemporary fiction, I often find myself like reading Pride and Prejudice. So I'm just ready for something really old. But then I go back and I get really excited about the new books coming out. New books come out all summer. So I do want to get my hands on those and read them while they're hot. Whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, it is a true thing. And I really enjoy doing that. Like by the pool, we go on vacation. I always read differently on vacation. How about you? I feel like I read a little bit more quantity-wise in the summer. It is just so hot here. And so I just feel like I read a little more. It's not lazily, but like I am very affected. I joke, I'm very affected by weather. And so if it's hot and miserable, like I want to be in my house with all the 
blinds shut, air bumped way down, kind of making my way through a stack of books. You know, the rest of the year, I feel like I'm constantly scrambling to like catch up or to read what's coming out before it's out. Or I don't know, I feel a lot more rushed. And during the summer, I think my reading pace might increase. Like I read more books. Maybe that resonates with teachers. I definitely read seasonally. There's something also, I mean, you know, about fall, because I feel like there are so many great fall releases. It's almost like Oscar season for movies. (laughs) So there are so many great books out in the fall. Summer is not my favorite season, but I'm like really trying to embrace it because my life has changed a lot. So summer is like a good time to actually read what I personally want to read. I'm trying to embrace summer and summer reading habits because I know that the fall looks a lot different for me than it used to. Fall is a lot more hectic. There's a lot more books I feel like I have to read. And so maybe part of what I like about summer reading is not just the change in pace, but maybe I'm reading a little bit more what I like to read or what I would gravitate toward even without the influence of my bookstore. Ooh, what do you like to read, Annie? So I love literary fiction, but I also, especially in the summer, I love a good fast-paced suspense thriller. And I think we're all kind of on the hunt for those because, I mean, not everybody loved Gone Girl, but I think the publishing industry has been looking for the next Gone Girl uh, for a long time. And so... And so I enjoy the thrill of a suspense novel because those are so fast paced and I can kind of fly through them. And then otherwise, just some really good literary fiction. And I just finished a couple of books. I finished Tangerine a little while ago. Mm -hmm. I read it in the spring. It came out in March. But to me, that's a perfect summer book because the pacing is to me just right. Like it's slow at first and then it kind of builds. And it's also set in Morocco. So like you feel, I feel like I could read that right now and it would really stick with me because it feels like Morocco. (laughs) So so Tangerine is a good example of a book I think that should be enjoyed in the summer. Do you find that your customers at the bookshelf are looking for different kinds of reads for their summer reading as well? Generally speaking, they are looking, and and with all due respect to Ann Patchett, not everyone follows that same. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many readers, at least who come in my doors, they're headed to the beach, they're headed on vacation. They're looking for light summer reading. I know people, I hate the term fluffy, so I'm just going to use the term light, fast-paced literature. So a few years ago, the big one I remember selling a lot of was The Rosie Project. That was a huge summer Mm, book for mm -hmm. us. Before I was a bookstore owner, I was a bookseller for about a year and Where'd You Go Bernadette was like a big summer book. Those aren't books I would necessarily consider fluffy, but they are faster paced. They are a little bit lighter in terms of content. So that's kind of what I see a lot of at the bookshelf. We also occasionally get the customer who wants to dive into something big. I like, I've had a couple of customers who come in in the summer looking for like that Hamilton-esque biography, Mm -hmm. but they want to just read all summer long, or maybe they want to tackle Anna Karenina. And then we get parents who want to read and do summer reading alongside their kids. So a lot of our classics go really fast in the summer. Um, And our summer reading table that's filled with recommendations from local schools, not just local students buy those. A lot of people use the summer, I think, to try to read the things they might've missed in their own high school summer reading experience. So that's another thing we kind of see a lot of. I would like to think I'm not the only book nerd who always wants to see what kids are being assigned to read. No, I love to see that. And I like to see if it changes region to region. And there are also some books on summer reading lists. I will scratch my head and think still. Like, <laughs> 
still <laughs> on the list. And I truly, I can't even think of the one I'm thinking of, but there, it feels like there is one every year where I'm like, oh, we're still doing this, huh? And then there are some that are repeatedly on the list that I didn't read. Maybe they weren't around or they weren't published yet when I was doing summer reading. And so I have been curious to maybe try my hand at one of those. I think Debbie Co is one that is really, it's on the summer reading list here in Thomasville for mm-hmm. middle school maybe. And that's one that I missed. Kind of like, oh, should I go back and try that one? I'm with you. I'm a book nerd too. I think it's fun to look at summer reading lists and see what people are required to read these days. For sure. Although sometimes it makes me feel really old. You know, like that book's been out long enough to be assigned. Huh. Yeah. Star Girl. I've never read that. I mean, I've seen it, but. I mean, I read it probably when I was in early high school. Um, not required reading. It just was a brand new book at that time. I really like hand selling and putting in kids' hands. It sounds like the kind of book that would make a good summer read. Absolutely. So rolling in the summer, how's your reading life been so far this year? I changed things up a little bit. Last year, my goal, one of the goals I set for myself was to read a hundred books in a year. And for many people, that's ridiculous. And then for many people, that's too small of a goal. Like I feel like you and I've talked before about your listeners. Some of them read over 200 books a year. And so I admire that. I've got a daffer at the bookshelf who read over 200 books last year. So to her, my goal of a hundred books was minimal. (laughs) For me, it was a lot. And I think I got to 93. So I got close, but I didn't quite make it. And I (laughs) swore to myself, never again. (laughs) I don't know if it's because of the nature of my job, but it was like too much additional pressure. And I was just flying through books and I'm a fast reader, but I was not able to relish books that I really wanted to relish. I mean, I'm sure there are other readers who can do that and maybe their jobs or their personal lives make it so that reaching that 100 or 200 goal is super easy. But for me, it wasn't. And so I was having to fly through books that I really didn't want to fly through. So this year I decided, no, like I'm going to go back. Before I owned a bookstore, I read about four books a month. And that feels like a really good line for me personally. But I also am a bookseller. So really I'm trying to reach that four to eight books a month goal. And I'm reading new books, but I also really wanted to read more backlist titles. So I don't know if you feel this way in your part of the book world. There's a lot of pressure for me to read what's new and what's coming out. I love that because I kind of like being in the know for literary trends. So I enjoy reading galleys and ARCs, advanced reading copies of books. But I also feel like I miss, you know, you miss the occasional really great backlist title. So a book that's been published more than a year or two ago. So I'm trying hard to read a nice mix this year of both front list, but also reading the occasional backlist title. I'm really proud that I finally got around to reading Killers of the Flower Moon recently. That's a book that I just didn't read when it very first came out. I missed it. And I thought, oh, it's one of those books that I've missed. And so I'm not going to go back. Then my husband and I went on a road trip. And so we decided to listen to the audiobook together. And I'm so glad we did. And I'm proud of reading that, even though that's a book that came out a year or so ago, I guess. Which is funny because you make it sound like that was eons. But to me, it does feel like ancient history. And I don't know if that's just the plight of the bookseller or bookstore owner, but that book feels like it's been out forever to someone like me who is day in and day out inundated with new titles and new things to read. So I am very happy with my reading life this year. I think last year I felt a lot of pressure, self-inflicted pressure. And this year I'm feeling a lot more like, oh, 
I'll pick that up if I want to pick it up and I won't read it if I don't want to read it. So I've been pleased with what I've read so far this year. And I think I'm still, you know, I'm still reading, like I said, between four and eight books a month. I certainly want to, as a bookseller, be well read so that I can hand sell books and so that I can make educated recommendations, but I don't want to feel like I'm constantly on assignment, even though as a nerd, I do love a good assignment. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you. I do read a lot for work. I love to read, but I found that at a certain pace, it can't help but feel like work and not in a good way. I get that question a lot. And I'm sure you do too. Like, has, has reading changed for you or does it feel more like work? Is it still enjoyable to you? And for the most part, it is still extremely enjoyable for me. It is still something that I retreat to. I still love to lose myself in a good book, but I think especially last year while I was trying to reach that number goal and I was trying to, you know, really read a wide range of literature so that I could recommend wisely, I got bogged down. And so this year I feel a little bit more, I don't know if relaxed is the word, but maybe it is. I feel a little bit more like I'm allowing for serendipity, the serendipity of what Ooh. book you need to read next. I believe in bookish serendipity. I'm glad you're opening up spaces for that. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a standout title you've read so far this year that you really loved? Well, I'm going to join the masses and <laughs> say educated. Have you yeah. read that? One? I have. I listened to the audio. I did too. Mm-hmm. And I don't do a ton of audiobooks. I listened to that one and I loved it. And the reason I named that one is because that's one that truly was not on my radar leading up to its publication. And so it was just one of those, again, serendipitous. We happened to listen to it in our Stitches and Stories, our book club where we listened to audiobooks while we knit. I was listening to it thinking, oh my gosh, I have to finish listening to this. This book is fantastic. It's going to be a standout for me for sure in my top 10 of the year, I think. And then have you read That Kind of Mother by Ruman Alam yet. Have you read that one? I was actually just talking about this for a future episode of What Should I Read Next? Mm -hmm. Did you like it? You know, I did. I'm still not sure how I feel about Rich and Pretty. It was a little uh, graphic for me in places and a little like, oh, just unlikable characters. And it was a page turner. So I like remember propelling myself through it really quickly. But afterwards I was like, oh, I might need a shower. Rich and Pretty was not my favorite. I felt very meh about it, very ambivalent. The cover was gorgeous, but that was his debut. So I wasn't really sure if I wanted to pick up that kind of mother, but the premise sounded so intriguing. I gave it a go. And while I was reading it, I'm like, this is really absorbing, but I'm not sure what I think. But it's one of those books that I closed and then found my thoughts like continually circling back to the story, which is a sign of a good book to me. It totally sticks with you. I really did wind up just loving the book. It reminded me some other books I have loved like it. It reminded me of 40 Rooms, which was a book that didn't get the buzz I thought it deserved. I don't know that one. Oh, it's so good. It's one of my favorites, probably of the past 10 years. Just a lot about where women belong. And the premise is that each woman in her life inhabits 40 rooms. Uh, And so the book is set up each chapter is a different room in this woman's life. So the dorm room she shared with a girlfriend, the bathroom where she took her first pregnancy test or something like that. It's just wonderful. So that kind of mother reminded me of 40 rooms. There's kind of a battle with ambition and how motherhood affects ambition. And did you read Jodi Picoult's Small Great Things? Because it also had tones of that to me. Yeah. So that kind of mother is one that, like you said, after I finished it, I have still thought about its themes. It'd make a great book club book. So I think by the end of the year, it's going to be in my top 10 as well. So educate 
Complicated and That Kind of Mother are, I think, at the top of my list for books I've really loved this mm-hmm. year so far. I liked Educated. I did not love Educated. I had just read The Sound of Gravel. Have you read that? Okay. I have not read it, but people, you're, several people have recommended it to me, so I know I need to get on it. It just felt so, so similar to me where I kept thinking, I thought Educated was a really powerful story, so I don't want to do like any disservice to that, but I felt like I just read that book. It was really well done. And I was wondering if I would feel different if I didn't do it on audio. So that's interesting to hear that you did as well. She did not narrate it, but I enjoyed the Mm -hmm. narration of Educated. One book that everybody loved a few years ago, and this is another summer kind of book, everybody loved The Royal We, super Mm -hmm. cute book. Mm -hmm. Well, I read it after Station Eleven. So for me, because Station Eleven just is in a class of its own, and I thought, oh, I'll read The Royal We, and it'll be a nice kind of break in pace. And instead, I just didn't like it at all, and The Royal (laughs) We is totally something I would normally like. I feel like I read it after the wrong book. That was an empathetic laugh. <laughs> I just reread yeah. Station Eleven for like the fourth time. I, that's one of my favorite books of the last maybe five years. Yeah, exactly. And so to follow it up with something that was light and fun, logistically or logically, I think it made sense, but it did the royal we, I think, a disservice. But it's hard to know. I've had a really great reading year, but I'm going to be looking for balance going into summer also because while a lot of really great books have come out in the last, you know, since January, a lot of heavy hitters came out in January, February, March this year. Yes. So many of them have been so heavy, really, really good, but really, really heavy. No, you're absolutely right. I have been posting my book reviews on Instagram and my mom follows me on Instagram and she I guess, noticed that I'd been reading just a lot of really, in my opinion, really great literature, but dark Mm -hmm. um, and heavy. And she commented to me, she was like, I'm going to have to send you the Mitford books, which which I have read and enjoyed. Um, But she, I think even she was like, this has got, you have to read something lighter now because everything I've read, especially the books that I have really loved have been heavy in content for sure. Okay. I'm glad it's not just me. Also, I want to hear more about the books that you really loved. I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, thank goodness for Annie Jones. Oh my gosh, I love her Instagram. Well, Annie told me to read this. Well, have you read this? Annie loved it. So we'll put links to everything so you can follow Annie in the bookshelf on Instagram and show notes because you want to, according to me and other readers. (laughs) I would love to hear some of the titles that you've read that you loved and you can't wait to recommend to your bookshelf customers this summer. Or you will also send out your shelf subscription. So every month you get to choose a book that you literally mail to people's houses for them to read. So I would love to hear what you have in mind for the coming months. Okay. So we just sent out our May selections, right? We're in May. (laughs) (laughs) It's been a busy year. So we just sent out our May selections. I feel like I can now say the book that I sent out was That Kind of Mother. And now I am eyeing my June selection. So can I tell you the book that I'm thinking about? Tell us. Okay. So the book that I'm thinking about, because it is, in my opinion, I think it is the best book I've read all year, The Ensemble by Asia Gable. I really like this too. Did you read it? Okay. So here's what I love. I love dysfunctional family stories. We've talked about this on your podcast before. This is not about a dysfunctional family, at least not in the traditional sense, but it is about this musical ensemble, this group of people who have been together for a long time. And so they have a familial type relationship and there are um, 
there is dysfunction there and there is love there. And I adored reading about these people. So it's this musical quartet and kind of the trials and tribulations of these musicians. I also adored that one of my staffers is a musicologist. She literally just graduated with her PhD and she read this because I I finished it and I loved it. But I thought, I want to know if somebody who actually knows about music would also like this book. My employee, Kate, she just has impeccable taste in books, raves about this book. She told me, I cannot believe how accurate this book is about the music world. And so that made me feel totally validated. (laughs) (laughs) It is so detailed and so fascinating about the music world, enough that a musicologist can read it and find it to be true and accurate. But somebody like me, who has no clue, really the difference probably between a Beethoven piece and a Bach piece can also love and enjoy this book. So I love books that take place on college campuses. This one does very briefly because we follow these musicians through the years. I can't say enough good things about the ensemble. And plus it's got a gorgeous package. Like the ensemble is a book that I would buy rather than borrow just because it's so beautiful inside and out. Ring in the new year with next. One of the best books I've read this year, I think I'm still going to be saying that in December, is A Place for Us by Fatima Farheen Mirza. This is a debut. It comes out June 12th. It's actually with a Sarah Jessica Parker new imprint from Hogarth. This is the first book. I think you like your dysfunction a little stronger than I do. So some of the books you love, I'm like, oh, (laughs) painful. Stop it. No. Well, I mean, there's massive dysfunction, but it's told in a quiet way, not like where everything terrible is happening with, you know, like nobody's grandma's dress is catching on fire at the like wake, you know, (laughs) that's not happening here. This is a quieter novel, which is not code for boring. When the story opens, we're at a wedding and the bride is waiting to see if her brother comes back. Like, you know, is he coming? Is he coming? She wants him to come. And you're like, why wouldn't your brother come to the wedding? What's happening here? Going back and forth in time between like we're at the wedding and what happened long ago, you find out how he sent himself into exile after a forbidden love story went very badly wrong. And actually a place for us, the title comes from that song in West Side Story, which is kind of a fun connection because this isn't like a New York City book or a vintage book. This is a book about a contemporary Indian American Muslim family living in California and navigating all kinds of cultural and identity issues. Like 9-11 happens during the childhood of one of the kids. And that's like a really big deal because he's perceived by his students to be a terrorist. But most of the story is about trying to do the right thing for your kids, for your siblings, for the people you love and how sometimes your good intentions go very, very badly wrong and harm relationships. And so the question of the book is, can that horrible damage be repaired? And so the story goes back and forth in time. So you see what's happening now, what happened back then. And then in some scenes that I thought were so powerful, the writing is so good. We go forward in time to see if there is any hope for this family. And it was so compelling. I felt like through this needle eye view of one family, the author tackled like picture issues and a really touching, poignant, this matters to me and my life and my family way really, really well. I just couldn't put it down. I can't wait to put it in people's hands. I wish I was a bookseller. Can I come to your store? Oh, hey, we have news. (laughs) We have news. Okay. We interrupt this program too. I'm coming to the bookshelf. Do you want to say what we're doing? So we are hosting Anne at the bookshelf in Thomasville. We are very excited. It's Saturday, June 9th for a show. 
self-help with Ann Bogle. So you can come to the bookshelf. Your ticket will include a book handpicked for you by Ann. And then you and I are going to be recording a live kind of podcast episode, which I'm super excited about. And I've never been before. I am so excited to come. I'd be so excited to visit on a Tuesday at 10 when nobody was there, but I'm extra excited (laughs) to get to see listeners and readers there. June 5th, this book will be out. I was about to say, you can actually hand sell a place for us at the bookshelf. Can't wait. And I am excited because you pretty much just sold this to me because this has been on my stack. Sarah Jessica Parker spoke at a booksellers conference in January. Hearing her speak, I think about her publishing imprint kind of made me think, okay, you really do love books. You really read a wide range of literature and this is a book that meant a lot to you and you get to publish it and that's exciting. So she feels very strongly about this book, um, but I was not super compelled to move it to the top of my ever-growing stack until now. So thank you, Anne. Please read it so we can talk about it. Yes, I will. In person on June 9th. (laughs) That would be amazing. Okay. What else have you read and loved? Can't wait to recommend. Here's the thing. I have read this book. Loved is a strong word that I would not use for this book, but do I want it in other people's hands so that they can talk to me about it? Yes. So the book is Social Creature by Tara Isabella Burton. I started this and put it down. I would have told you to put this one (laughs) (laughs) because I just need to put out the blanket statement that this is not for everyone. So this is not a book I would feel comfortable putting in my shelf subscription. It is dark and graphic, but it's about this friendship between two young women, Louise and Lavinia, but their friendship is clearly dysfunctional. Toxic, honestly, would be a better word. Lavinia has kind of that Upper East Side feeling then Louise is a little less experienced, less wealthy. So you kind of get some issues of class. You know, Louise thinking, is Lavinia better than I am? And it's this very tense relationship. No spoilers. Early in, I think in the first 20 pages, we find out Lavinia has died, but we don't know how and we don't know why. And the rest of the novel is kind of finding that out. Gosh, there are a few scenes. I literally, I handed it to Kate and Kate said, no, not for me. I can't do it. And so I said, I need someone on this staff to read this book (laughs) so that we can have a conversation. So my manager, Olivia, read it. And there are just some scenes that stick with you because they are are dark. They are graphic. Um, But if you are looking for a book with unreliable narrators, a book to maybe fill that, I don't know, that Gone Girl void that maybe you've been looking for. And I know so many books have claimed to be the next Gone Girl. And I don't think this is that. It's it's very different. Um, but that unreliable narrator, that toxic relationship, that's what Social Creature is about. It's like a super dark gossip girl. I feel like that's going to be intriguing to some readers, but do go into it knowing there is content that is going to make you shudder. And the cover is seriously... Seriously creepy. Yeah, the cover totally implies what you're getting into. That's why I hesitate to say I loved this book because I really didn't love it. But I will admit that the writing style is original. It's not really like anything else I've read. And despite having maybe the same themes of a Gone Girl type book, or I guess... If, if you liked Tangerine, it's like uh, an R-rated Tangerine. Uh, <laughs> I thought it was pretty original. The writing style was unique. It was a slow burn for a long time, like where I kind of thought, okay, where is this? Where are you taking me? Is this going to be worth it? Does this pay off? And mm-hmm. it does, but in really dark ways. Have you read The Hazelwood? No, I have not. It's a beautiful little book. It's by Melissa Alberts. And what made me think of it is it's another book that's dark and creepy. It is 
definitely not for everyone, but readers who are going to love this are going to seriously, seriously love it. It's YA. It's possible that this is the closest thing to horror I've ever read, but I'm like such a sensitive, like chicken soul here. But I thought it was so fun. I picked it up when I saw you in New Orleans in the fall for Siba. It has this like really striking black and white cover with gold and silver foil. It's so gorgeous. It is the Hazelwood, the Gates of the Hazelwood on the cover. It's a twisted fairy tale and it's a little bit like the 13th tale with like a little bit of the matrix mixed in. Okay. Melissa Albert, the author, uh, does something important for young adult books at Barnes and Noble. So it's about this girl named Alice. She's 17. She's in high school and she spent her whole life like on the run with her mother. They're like running from something, but Alice doesn't know what it is. And then one day her mom gets a letter in the mail that says, your grandmother's dead and now we're free. And Alice is like, what? But she does know that her grandmother wrote this like cult classic, seriously dark and creepy book of fairy tales called The Hinterland that has this devoted, hardcore, but small fan following. Instead of being free, it turns out that the Hazelwood wants to claim Alice for their own. So all of a sudden you're in Manhattan and you have these characters that have escaped this twisted fairy tale, like on the streets, trying to get to Alice and take her to the Hazelwood. And with the help of a classmate who happens to be um, loaded and with parents who don't really care about him. So the perfect companion to go on a journey into like the scary dark mm-hmm. forest, they find themselves a copy of The Hinterland and start reading these terrifying stories. And this is where it gets um, horror-y. Is that a, is that a word? Um, <laughs> That's good. Because <laughs> they're called things like um, Alice Three Times is the uh, story that... Alice was named after and twice killed Catherine is another one in the story. So I might've skimmed those Ah. really aggressively, (laughs) but they have to unlock the puzzle by reading the stories and they go on an adventure and they need to like, can they find their freedom? Can they unlock the magic? I picked it up two times to read it because it had been recommended by somebody with solid taste to taste a lot like mine is often what that means. And I started it and I thought it was boring and I started it and I thought it was boring. And for some reason I gave it another try on a Sunday afternoon and could not put it down. Does that ever happen to you? That's what I mean by allowing chances for serendipity, because I think as a bookseller, I often have had to, I used to be one of those people who like I would pick up a book and even if I didn't like it, I would keep reading um, because I like the act of finishing something. But as a bookseller, I don't really have that luxury anymore. If I don't like it or if I can't get through it, I need to move on to read something else. And as a result, I don't often give books a second chance. I think that's the downside to being in the book world. There's just so much to read that you don't often give a book a second chance. So that's good to know. And The Hazelwood is one that I thought was gorgeous, but I will admit to you, just like you have things maybe that you don't love reading or that you kind of shy away from, I don't love kind of fairy tale things. And I don't know why that is. I don't really have a reason for it. I just am not drawn <laughs> to those types of stories. Yeah. But the cover is really gorgeous. And I think one of my staffers read this one or at least read part of it and really liked it. But I just thought, um, that one's not for me, but maybe it is. Maybe I'll give it a go. This story does have a lot going for it if you're willing to take a chance. And something I did really like about it objectively is that it's YA with a really strong heroine, you know, brave and courageous and determined and super smart. There's a guy in the story, but it's not a love story. I like that that exists in the world. Yeah, we need it to exist. Seriously creepy. A little bit gruesome in places. (laughs) It's so dysfunctional, Annie. 
This it's a dysfunctional <laughs> right family story. Out. Yeah, if I was describing <laughs> it for you, that's where I would start. What's another book that you've read and loved? Okay, so I'm having a hard time to narrow it down. Can I do two real quick back to back? Yes. Is that cheating? No, because if I said no, I'll get hate mail from listeners that said, "What was Annie going to recommend?" <laughs> and I mean that affectionately. Okay. I'm going to start with the book of Essie, which again, like Social Creature, is not a book I loved, but it's a book that was intriguing enough to me that I want other people to read it so that we can like have a giant book club discussion about it. So the book of Essie comes out June 12th, and I'm just going to give a quick overview so that I have time to talk about a book I really did love. So the book of Essie is about the youngest daughter of an evangelical preacher turned reality TV star. You get some serious talk about religion. This is a family whose whole lives have been filmed and kind of the repercussions of that. And then the youngest daughter of this minister finds herself to be pregnant. And so what the family kind of does about that is that they, of course, insist that she get married and that they make a television event out of it. So you get a lot of interesting looks at modern culture um, because you get a look at reality TV and how and what's real on reality TV and what's not, what's going on behind the scenes. And then you also get some interesting looks at religion, where this author was writing from and her own personal experience. And I just think this book is natural book club fodder. It's not the best written book I've ever read, but it was good enough where I really did want to finish it. And I really did want to know what happened to the characters. I'm pretty sure it would make a good vacation book. Like in my mind, it's fast paced. Mm -hmm. It's a book that I do think lends itself to beach reading, but it also carries enough heft where you can have conversations. I go to a local beach with my family once a year. And what I love about my family is that we pretty much all sit in a row of beach chairs, each reading our own book that we have brought. And then like, as we finish those books, we wind up having really great discussions about them. And the book of Essie is one that I can envision my family kind of having really interesting talks about both about faith and religion and also about privacy, reality television. There's just a lot there. So certainly intriguing premise, certainly interesting enough to keep you turning the page while you're on vacation. That's interesting. I hadn't thought why a discussable novel would be so great for a vacation read, but that sounds delightful. Your family and your beach chairs talking about your reading. It really is. What a lovely way to get to spend my time. So then the book that I actually loved, it's called The Incendiaries, and it does not come out until July 30th, but it's by R.O. Kwan. I read this on the recommendation of Kate, my bookshelf staffer. We love books about cults. (laughs) Uh, It goes back to like, a loving, maybe a darker, heavier type of literature. So this book is extremely heavy and and rather sad, but it is about a young man who has kind of lost his faith and he transfers colleges and he befriends this young woman named Phoebe. He and Phoebe become kind of romantically involved. And then Phoebe finds herself attracted to this religious group that we come to know as readers, we discover that it is more cult, I guess, than religion. It's very extreme. This novel kind of plays with time. So you're kind of going back and forth with time and with voice. Uh, The novel is mostly told in three voices, Phoebe's voice, uh, Will, the former maybe evangelical, his voice, and then the voice of the cult leader. And the way the author plays with those voices and makes them very unique uh, is really 
really well done. So it plays with time, it plays with voice, and then it also hits on some of those major themes. What I also really like about this book is how thin it is. She tells the story so well. To me, in the hands of a lesser author, it would require a lot more pages, if that makes sense. Like I feel like it's the type of book that could be really hefty um, in in terms of page count. But instead, Quan has kind of narrowed it down to just this kind of little novel. And as a result, you don't get bogged down in it. It's heavy and it's, it's dealing with some heavy issues. And you're right there with Will trying to find out what has happened to Phoebe and what has led her to kind of lose herself in this religious experience. But you're never, it moves along at such a pace that you're never kind of drowning in it. So mm-hmm. I love the incendiaries. Uh, it comes out July 30th. I suspect that someone on my staff will choose this. As a <laughs> so I, I can't say who, cause I don't really know, but I imagine it will find its way into your mailbox. If you are subscribed to, um, the bookshelf's monthly picks, I really liked this one, but it's not that light summer book. The page count keeps it manageable. Okay. For my final, I can't wait for you to read the summer pick. I'm thinking The Widows of Malabar Hill would make a good summer read. You've read this, haven't you? No, I have not, but Kate has. It was a shelf subscription. Okay. Because what I like about this is it's mystery that tackles serious issues and real history. And it has like this really atmospheric multicultural setting, but it's written with a style that's not overwhelming. So it's by Sujata Massey. This is going to be the first in a series and critics are really excited that there's more to come, which makes me happy. I don't know what the timeline is, but she's won Agatha Award. She's been writing mysteries forever, but this is her first book in this new series. And it was inspired by an actual woman who was the first female attorney in Bombay. Our heroine is Praveen Mystery, went to law school, was not a good experience because she was a woman, but she made it through. And now she works at her father's like most respected in India law firm. So I really like the setup here. I think it's really interesting and a great premise for a mystery, especially one of this nature. So her father has a client who is Muslim and he dies and he leaves behind three widows. And these widows are devout Muslim and they live in full purda. That means that they stay behind the veil. Like they wear the veil literally, but also they live in seclusion. They do not interact with men that they are not related to. So this is a problem because Praveen's father needs to execute this will, but he can't interact interact with the clients who have a house manager who's doing things that seem a little shady involving diverting a whole ton of money from them to him. It's a conundrum, except Praveen is a woman and a solicitor. So she resolves to speak with them. Nobody wants her to. Uh, Somebody dies along the way, which is a big warning that she should back off, but she's determined to do it. And over the course of the story, you find out that not only is she driven by her like professional, this is my job, this is my obligation as a solicitor, but also she had a disastrous past marriage where her rights were taken away because of traditional religious practices. And she's not going to let that happen to other women. So Mm -hmm. that's a really fun as fun as reading about a disastrous past marriage can be, but like she's spunky and like (laughs) plucky and really smart and you want good things for her and you're ready to see her like get Mm -hmm. the bad guys. But it goes back and forth between when she fell in love with this guy and decided to get married and move to Calcutta against what are like the traditional Parsi practices of courtship and marriage five years later in the present time where she is on a mission to do right by these women. And the storylines come together. It's not light, 
or fluffy, but it's also the kind of book that you could read on an airplane and it would be okay. So that's been out a little while. It'll be, it came out in January, so it'll be a little easier for people to get their hands on while they're waiting for that one that comes out July 30th. Okay, Annie, you work in a bookstore. You were surrounded by like what? 12,000 books every day. I just made up a number. (laughs) That sounds about right. And yet, because you work in books, you still have books that you're really excited about reading that are coming out this summer that for whatever reason you have not read yet. What are three books you can't wait to read this summer? My own customers, podcast listeners hate when I do this because I'm talking about books that haven't come out yet. (laughs) Readers need something to look forward to and, you know, mark your calendars. They're coming out, I promise. So a book that I have like in my stack, but I haven't made it to yet is called Little Disasters by Randall Klein. Have you read this? No, but it sounds like you. (laughs) Just the title alone. (laughs) Little Disasters. That's pretty much what I love to read. So it comes out May 22nd. Um, I was drawn to it because the blurb, which I know not all blurbs are accurate or blurbs are because the authors are friends, whatever, I still sometimes buy into them. So the blurb on this particular book is by Catherine, I never know how to pronounce her last name. I'm going to say Haney, who wrote Standard Deviation, Mm -hmm. which I adored. There was a book that came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago and it took place. It was not a great read for me, but it took place in San Francisco. And like there was this earthquake and it was kind of about these different people and how they were affected by the earthquake and how they found each other. And little disasters sounds a little bit like that in that you have these two young couples who are both having babies and the two married couples, like their lives kind of collide and there's deceit and indiscretion. And there's a crisis in midtown Manhattan that kind of brings the two husbands of these couples together, tensions arise. So like the premise just sounds really intriguing to me. And I also wonder if it might be a little bit like the dinner uh, that came out a few years ago, where it was just that really kind of slow burn that you didn't kind of know what was happening. It just took place over dinner. And I think this kind of takes place in one kind of disastrous event. And so it is making its way slowly to the top of my TBR list. So it's called Little Disasters and it comes out May 22nd and I really want to read it. That sounds good. It's a debut too. So I'm intrigued. I don't know anything about Randall Klein. So I'm intrigued by it. What about you? I don't have to wait too long for a book at the top of my summer list. So it's There, There by Tommy Orange. Have you come across this? This is also a potential shelf subscription pick, though not for me. It sounds so intriguing. I read an interview with him in The New Yorker that really made me think like, um, I need to get my hands on this immediately. Orange was inspired to write this because he's an Oakland native and a Native American. And he said those are two things that he doesn't feel like he sees in fiction. So there aren't really novels that capture the Oakland experience. He wanted also to write a novel that honors and expresses all that it entails to be native and from Oakland. So the setup is that he's written this novel that's told from like 12 different points of views and covers many different generations. And I love multi-generational novels. And so all these characters are coming together to attend the fictional first big Oakland powwow at the Oakland Coliseum, which is going to be this event honoring and exploring the different aspects of the native experience. He has like this diverse cast of characters. There's an aspiring filmmaker, a guy who's taught himself how to do traditional native dances based on YouTube videos. And there's a woman who struggled with alcohol abuse, who's getting to meet her grandsons for the very first time, but only if she can prove that she can stay sober and all their paths come together and become 
entwined as they make their way to this big event. And I'm looking forward to read it. June 5th. It sounds so good. I think unlike a lot of things out there, which proves his point. So I'm intrigued by that one too. Yes. When I heard like 12 points of view, five generations, I was like, yes, yes, please. (laughs) Yes. This book is for me. What else is on your list? Where the Crawdads Sing. What a title. Right? Coming out in August. I want to read this for two reasons. First of all, this author is originally from Thomasville. Oh, and that fun. never happens. <laughs> <laughs> that never happens. We're a small little town. And the other reason is because my publisher is pitching this as Barbara Kingsolver meets Karen Russell. Ooh. Right? So that alone kind of has me excited. So it takes place on the North Carolina coast. So I do love Southern Lit, but I like Southern Lit when it's done by people who know what the South actually looks like and is. (laughs) And I feel like Delia Owens, who is this author from Thomas Sowell, she lived as a wildlife scientist in Africa. Like she's, she's kind of done the whole thing. So I think she will actually know how to write really well about the South. So it takes place on the North Carolina coast, 1969, a man is found dead and locals immediately suspect this kind of, I don't want to say Boo Radley type character, but like somebody, this young woman who everybody has kind of termed the marsh girl, she kind of lives alone in the marshes, kind of a survivalist young woman, I think. And then two young men from town kind of become intrigued by her. And so I'm super curious, like, is there going to be a romance here? Is this going to be a lot of writers who I have met who are kind of from the South Georgia area, write a lot about wildlife and about not just about Southern people, it's about Southern place. And so I'm super curious, especially Delia Owens, who has so much experience with wildlife. I'm curious if she's going to write really well about the marshland and what animals and plants kind of make their home there. So this book comes out, you're gonna have to wait a while, August 14th, but see by August, I'm almost dead. (laughs) (laughs) But in the nearer term, I'm excited to read the new Fiona Davis. She wrote The Dollhouse. She has a new one coming out August 7th called The Masterpiece. I'm not, I mean, I read some historical fiction. I'm not devoted to the genre. But then I found out about the setting and I was like, oh yes, yes, please. It was news to me to discover through reading about this book that there was a thriving art school in Grand Central Station in the 20s. Did you know this? I did not. Can you imagine taking an art class in Grand Central Station? How amazing. I mean, it was legit. John Singer Sargent founded it in the 20s and it ran for 20 years. The book goes back and forth in time between the art school years, the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s to 1974 when developers want to raise Grand Central and build a skyscraper. So Jackie O makes an appearance because she's the one who led the fight to save the terminal by getting it landmark status. There's usually a little bit of a mystery element in her books and a whole lot of New York City. I'm excited for it, but I have to wait till August. I'm excited about that one too. And I'm excited because I don't read a ton of historical fiction. And I like that Fiona Davis is kind of sticking with what she's really good at. The elements that you mentioned, like a little bit of time back and forth. The hotel at the center of the dollhouse was based on a real place. And so I just like that she's kind of sticking with a familiar formula, but also making it something unique and different. Yes. All right, Annie, do you have one more you want to share? Yeah, I've got one more because I think this will go well with the new Fiona Davis. So I am really intrigued. Have you seen this book called The Air You Breathe? No. Okay, I just got my advanced reader copy. It comes out August 21st, a Brazilian-American author. The blurbs on the back are by Georgia Hunter, Alexander Chi, Anton Disclafani, Laura Moriarty, 
Christina Henriquez, Rebecca Mackay, like all the authors I love. (laughs) I'm already intrigued. It's about a female friendship. So it's about two young women who meet in 1930s Brazil on a sugar plantation. But you kind of follow them from that sugar plantation in Brazil to Rio de Janeiro, to Los Angeles during the golden age of Hollywood, because these two friends love music. I'm under the impression from the descriptions that I've read that music kind of brings these friends together, but it also might maybe tear them apart because perhaps one is a little bit maybe more talented than the other or ambitions maybe rise to the top. So I love books about female friendship. We've already talked about several today, but I also really like that this again would be a little bit outside genre for me. It it takes place at first in 1930s Brazil. So it's more historic fiction than I'm used to all of those blurbs. And again, I know (laughs) living in the book world that blurbs don't always mean anything, but that's just so many really good blurbs that I'm like, oh, and don't you feel like it still tells you a lot about the kind of notes that the author's trying to hit with the book? Yes, certainly. I feel like if it's that many authors that I enjoy, there's at least a good chance that I'm going to be able to lose myself in this one. So, you know, we talked at the beginning of the episode, like what we're looking for in summer books. This one, unlike the incendiaries, this book is rather large. Like I think it's 400 something pages. So it feels like one of those books, if it hooks me and I hope that it does, it could be one of those books that you kind of lazily just lose yourself in during the hottest part of the summer. Like I can totally picture that happening with this book. So I'm excited. I'm just picturing you sitting in front of the rotating fan. <laughs> yes, we do get the rotating Actually, you know fan. What? It might not even be rotating. <laughs> it might just be like full blast on you. I still want to use my front porch during the summer, but we don't have a ceiling fan out there. So we work super classy and bring out that rotating fan uh, every every summer and just plug it on in. <laughs> you do what you got to do to read on the front porch. That's right. Absolutely. We get it. We get it. All right. Annie, this has been a delight. I'm even more excited about what's coming my way this summer. I hope listeners feel the same. I certainly feel that way. I am already eyeing a place for us and kind of moving it to the top of my list. So thanks for uh, that. Yes, please. I would like to request a report on that. <laughs> yeah. I'm wishing you all the best in your summer reading. Thanks. And we'll see you at the bookshop soon. I will be there. But in the meantime, thank you so much for talking books with me today. Absolutely. Hey readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Annie. Head to the podcast site to share your summer reading plans. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 132. That's 132. And it's where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. Next week, I'm talking to Sachi Argabright, an everyday reader who recently discovered rich meaning in seeing herself reflected in the pages of a book first book I think I uh, discovered was Celeste Ng's book, Little Fires Everywhere. They said this, there's this new book coming out. It's set in Northeast Ohio where I'm from. And like, it was written by this Chinese American woman. I said, I got to read that. And I read it and I related so much to the story that I said, you know, I need to read anything I can get my hands on written by an Asian American author. So I've just dove in. And in the past couple months, I think I've read like 18 different books and it's been really eye-opening. I just really enjoy it and can really relate to the experiences, which is really valuable to me. You can hear the rest of Sachi's story next week. Make sure you're subscribed to What Should I Read Next on iTunes or your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. Readers, we have another episode coming your way soon that is all about the library. We'll be sharing secrets and strategies to help you get the most out of the local library. But for now, we want to hear what your library strategies are. Is there a secret best time to hit the stacks? A little known library service that you can't live without? A class that changed your life or a database you love? Tell me all about it at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash talk and you might hear yourself on a future episode. 
That's what should I read next podcast.com slash talk. If you're on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Bogle. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at what should I read next. Thanks to the people who make the show happen. What Should I Read Next is produced by Brenna Frederick with sound design by Kellen Pekajek. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone.